You know, how amazing would it have been to be able to walk some of the paths that Jesus walked, to walk in his footsteps, maybe even travel uh, where he traveled alongside with him, uh, to eat some of the same foods that he ate, to see his healing power uh, firsthand, uh, the lives that were transformed by him, maybe even to witness some of the miracles that he did, turning water, you see gallons of water, and he turns it into amazing wine, to be in a boat that is getting rocked by the waves and the storms, and to have just at his command, it becomes still and silent. And the moment you think you have Jesus all figured out, he changes it up. And Jesus does this all the time. Because the untamed, unpredictable Jesus starts telling stories. And as it turns out, Jesus is a pretty good storyteller. So there's a few people in my life that I have just come to admire. Amazing storytellers. Uh, Tommy Oaks. Tommy is down in East Tennessee. I think he actually has a degree in storytelling. Uh, Jeff Walling, uh, who's out at Pepperdine University. And Chris Brown. Chris is a, one of the pastors at North Coast Church. And Chris is amazing at bringing the scriptures to life. And he tells the story and you almost feel like you're there. And then there's Jesus. And what they didn't realize is that Jesus was a master storyteller. He's a master storyteller. He starts talking in parables and sharing things and uh, amazing things that would stretch your thinking. But oftentimes I wonder, why is it that some people get it and some people don't. I mean, some people get it when they hear the words of Christ, when they hear Jesus tell his stories, and it seems like they understand and they go to a deeper level with him. And yet, some people don't. It stays on the surface. You know, as a youth pastor for so many years, that's what I struggled with. I struggled with the idea, you know, we would pour so much into these students. Uh, hundreds if not thousands of students and then it would almost seem like about 25% of them actually get it and are still walking with the Lord today and that actually might be an optimistic number 25% and at first I thought maybe it's just because I'm not a very good youth pastor uh, that might have been true on occasions but I think it's kind of like parenting You know, parents can pour everything they can into their kids, and we have done that with students over the years. You pour everything you can, and you try your very best to lead them in the right direction, lead them closer to Christ. You teach them the Scriptures. You pray with them, and it is your heart's desire to see them walk with the Lord. But in the end, it's up to each person to decide whether or not they're going to live a life in a close relationship to Jesus Christ. I know Pastor Greg Lowry out in California, he holds the Harvest Crusade out at the Angel Stadium in Anaheim. And I remember hearing him once say, as 
thousands of people would come and they would give their lives to Jesus and they would get baptized. And he said, you know, I really tried to stay positive, but it's, it's difficult because even seeing a thousands of people, seeing the thousands of people come forward, he knew in the back of his mind that only about 25% would actually stick with it, that would continue to walk with him. Why is that? You know, Jesus gives us the answer to why it is that only about 25% stay in their close relationship with Christ. And he shares it in a parable, one of his stories. Jesus is outside of Capernaum, most likely, in a lakeside. And Jesus would use the lake, he would use the water as an acoustics uh, microphone. A lot of us know that you go to Red Rocks and you can kind of hear the sound from a long distance away. Uh, when I was younger, I remember spending a lot of time on Lake Freeman, which is in Monticello, Indiana. And I remember being out one night on the, on the side of the lake and I heard somebody talking. And I was with my friend, Dr. Moss, and I said, who is that talking? And he goes, oh, that's the people on the other side of the lake. And so Jesus would use the acoustics of the water to talk to the people. And so Jesus is out there by the lake shore, and there's a crowd that has gathered. Everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd that would gather. And so he doesn't waste that opportunity. And he starts to teach them, and he shares with them this parable. And it's found in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 3. This is what Jesus says. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and as, I, as he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on the foot, footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon withered under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And so Jesus tells us, tells everyone this story. But this story leaves a lot of people scratching their heads. What really is Jesus trying to drive home? What really is he talking about? What is he saying? What does he mean? And so then he continues in verse 9. He says, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. That sounds about right, right? If you have ears, you should probably listen, especially to the words that Jesus has to say. And then, at some point in time, a little bit later, he retreats with his disciples. He gets away with them, and he starts to share with them. So what Jesus would do is he would teach and preach and tell the stories, and then he would get away with his disciples and explain it a little bit deeper. And this is what he says, starting in verse 10. It says, Later when Jesus was alone 
with the twelve disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And then he quotes Isaiah and he says, When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? Did you catch what Jesus said there? You may have to actually reread it to, to understand exactly what he said, or maybe even to reaffirm what he said. Why would Jesus in one breath say, Everyone who has ears, let him hear and understand what I am saying. And then sometime later, say, yeah, but some people, they're going to get confused. They're going to get confused by what I say in these parables, and I'm actually okay with that. And so as Jesus would share these parables, oftentimes what he would do is he would reveal much and hide much at the same time. He would distinguish those who were maybe wishy-washy, those that just wanted to be entertained, those that wanted to see what Jesus the entertainer was going to do next. Distinguish those people from those that truly wanted to follow after him, those that truly wanted to be in a close relationship with him. And it all goes back to this idea and this desire that God has that we would be in a relationship with him that we would walk with him, that we would talk with him, that we would stop and listen to the things that he has to say. I also believe that he spoke in parables to kind of nudge people to start thinking, to start thinking deeper. I remember when I was growing up and my father kind of nudging me on the head and said, Jeff, use your brain. Think. You need to think a little bit here. And I think this is what Jesus is doing. He's sharing these parables and he's saying, you know what, I need you guys to think deeper. And so he's nudging us to think deeper with him. Kind of sounds like church, doesn't it? We have some people that are really pursuing Christ and then we have others that maybe are just going there, uh, maybe even to be entertained, maybe to see what Jesus will do next. Maybe they're in the discovery mode. What Jesus does next with his disciples is he explains the parable of the farmer sowing the seed. And this is what he says, starting in verse 14. He says, The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. And so we're going to take God's gospel, take his word, and give it to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once to take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have the deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's words but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, 
the lure of wealth and the desire for other things so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as has been planted. And so Jesus describes it like this. Christians are going to throw seed. We're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's going to probably land in several different locations. And he describes four of them. The first one that he describes is the the path, the footpath. It's been trampled down. There's no good soil there. This actually represents people that are kind of closed or cold-hearted. They're not interested in what you have to share. They're not interested in what God's Word has to share. And so nothing ever is produced there. In fact, Satan comes in and just swoops it away. Then he describes the rocky soil. And the rocky soil basically is shallow. It's a shallow commitment. We've all seen this happen, and it's probably happened to some of you, where you get this spiritual high, and it's kind of like kindling on the fire. And you can see it for miles. It grows up really high. But as soon as it's gone up, it's, it goes away just as fast. It doesn't take root. When it doesn't take root, it doesn't last. This is kind of like people that go to a week of church camp and they get a spiritual high and it's really awesome and it feels good. But when they don't feed that spiritual fire, it goes away just as fast as they got it. Maybe it's a Christian concert or a conference that you go to and you experience this amazingness. But because you don't invest in it, it doesn't last. This happens all the time. And so what we do is we wait for that next spiritual high that we think will sustain us, and yet it does not. And the third that he talks about is the seed that's growing up with the thorn bushes. In verse 18, he says, The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. And so no fruit is produced. Oh, how easy this happens. When we take our focus off of the Creator and we place our focus on the created, when we see all the things that the world produces, And that's where we start to gravitate towards. This could be wealth, it could be homes, cars, material. It could be a lot of different things. But we worship the things of this world. And unfortunately, oftentimes, we don't worship the creator of this world. And this is for all of us who are not willing to sacrifice our life Christ, And what I mean by that is kind of this dying to self so that we can live in Christ. Oftentimes what we will do is we, all of our focus will be on the things of this world. Our focus will be on the things that God created rather than God himself. And it so quickly happens 
And maybe it's the wealth, maybe it's the material things that we see that we start to worship instead of God. I heard this one time, I think it's a neat quote to write down, but the weeds kill by choking off the nutrients. That seed will go into the thorns and the weeds will kill by choking off the nutrients. Then Jesus describes a fourth soil. It's a good soil. And Jesus says this about the good soil in verse 20. The good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So let me ask you this question. Which one of these describes you in your life? Maybe you attend church, but you have zero interest in investing into God's Word. You're kind of like that pathway that has been trampled on. And if this is not you, you certainly know people that this describes them. I actually know a lot of people that go to a church regularly, and this describes them to a T, where they have zero interest investing into God's Word. Maybe you're in the rocky soil. In the rocky soil, basically, you're just waiting for that next spiritual high so that it'll sustain you from one to the other. Maybe you're in the midst of the weeds and the thorns. And instead of being focused and worshiping God, you've gotten distracted by the things of the world. You're not feeding your soul. And so quickly this will happen to a lot of us. And then maybe, maybe you're in the good soil. Maybe you're pursuing Jesus with everything that you have. You are following Christ with everything that you have. And as Christ followers, we have a responsibility. And this is the great thing about living a life in Christ. In fact, it's our responsibility. It is what we are called to do. We are called to throw the seed out. It's not our job to figure out necessarily uh, where it's going to land, but we're just going to continue to throw more seed. And so here's my challenge to you, for all of us. Let's just throw more seed. Let's throw more seed. Who knows what God might do? And I know that some of the seed we throw is going to land on the pathway. Some of it's going to land on the rocky soil. Some of it will land amongst the thorns and the weeds. But who knows? Maybe some of the seed that we throw out there is going to land in some good soil. And eternity will look different because of it. And so I challenge you, as a church, as families, in our schools at our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, let's throw out more seed. Let's invest. Let's throw out the gospel. Let's challenge people and make disciples. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for the stories that you tell. Thank you for challenging us in the ways that you challenge us and for showing us the way to you. And I pray that as followers of you, we will do everything that we can just to throw out more seed, to invest into souls. Your kingdom is worth it. And so I pray that we'll live our lives completely sold out to you in everything that we do. And this we ask in your name. Amen.